Welcome to Multiple Offers, a real estate show with competing perspectives. Today, we are talking about a brief history of Greater Vancouver real estate. Put that coffee down. If you're good at something, never do it for free. How did you get the gig? Oh, you know, they were hiring. It was only a two-week course. I will sell this house today. What are you, some kind of real estate agent? Oh, he's a realtor. There is a difference somehow. This is Multiple Offers, a real estate show. All right, guys, we are on episode 29. And uh, today we have a special guest. Normally I am outnumbered by Matt and Jeremy with the New West guys. Woo. I've brought in uh, my partner, Mick McLennan, uh, to back me up today. Uh, Mick has been one of the longest-running realtors in the greater Vancouver area. He has... you just said he's the oldest realtor in the Greater Vancouver yeah, area. Yeah, yeah, he's he, yeah, he's he's the old. Well, he's he's actually qualified for the Medallion Club. There's only four agents who have qualified for Medallion in Greater Vancouver more times uh, than Mick, and he also happens to be my dad. Uh, Mick, welcome to the show, well, or thanks. Dad, <laughs> welcome to the <laughs> show. All right, glad to be here. <laughs> and if you're at all wondering how the team dynamics work, episode eighteen. Ooh, nice plug. Yeah. I was thinking about it the other day because we always put you on the spot about what episodes are like, ep- what episode is this, Matt? What episode is that? And you always know. I was thinking about while I was driving, like, at what point do we hit critical mass and we can't just put you on the spot anymore? <laughs> in that view? It's starting to become a problem. <laughs> yeah. I definitely don't know the numbers from the election edition. Oh, okay. Those are a little harder. You're lucky, though, because now that we're through the election, we don't have reason to call back to those yeah. as much. <laughs> but uh, It's because of my obsessive nature to check our listening stats. Yeah. I, I read through and I see the titles, <laughs> so the repetition keeps them fresh. Nice. Well, what's been going on, guys? Jer, how have you been? Well, I'm just really excited about this episode because we finally get to have the two teams hash it out and find out who's going to be... And officially who find out who's the, the superior best team. team. So I'm just really excited about this episode. Um, real estate wise though, I, I, it's like weird cause we kind of had a couple situations where there's been more than one multiple or more than one offer on a property, a, a multiple offer, if you will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, which I don't know. I thought the market had crashed and nothing was happening and sky was falling, falling, but, uh, it seems that we are still, there's still people out there that are interested in the same properties. Yeah. Which has been nice. Yeah, I was on the losing end of one of those. So it's so nice for you, Jeremy. <laughs> it's nice for someone. There can only be, I guess in real estate, there can be two winners. <laughs> and you were the third. <laughs> Everybody gets a ribbon. How about you, Matt? What's going on? I'm having a really strange experience today where in uh, one of the buildings where we have a listing, we have an offer accepted. And the agent who we have the offer accepted with also has a listing in the building. Okay. But the agent keeps asking me questions about, like, about the building. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty weird. <laughs> I mean, okay. Like, I, I will do the work. I want to close this deal. but They're, They maybe don't even need it for their buyer. They're just getting free research for their <laughs> listing. <laughs> yeah. I won't borrow those strata docs for you, from you. And I'm starting to wonder when I'm going to reach critical mass, Jeff, when I stop answering questions. Well, I, I would really like you to, because if I 
if my memory serves me, this feels like maybe the listing that my my buyer lost out on. So you should totally stop answering all those questions. <laughs> I'm going to do enough to help you out later this afternoon, Jeff. Oh, yeah. If you want to bring that offer you were talking about, I'd be really excited. Um, Dad, how are you? What's going on? Well, it's uh, everything's going really well. I've got some... Uh, quite a few things starting to cook. I noticed uh, more buyers are out there and they're seeing value because we have seen prices drop. It feels like it's maybe hit that point where the buyers are starting, like for a while they were like, I'm just going to wait and see. I'm just going to wait and see. But activity seems way up. Well, you know, history tends to repeat itself. And for years we were in a seven-year cycle. Yeah. And people swore by it. And then if you think back to 2007, 2008, where the whole market just fell apart in the United States. And at that point, our market got really slow. In New Westminster, in a matter of about four or five months, we saw approximately a $50,000 drop in prices. Yeah. And, um, you know, and everybody was walking around saying the world's falling and everything's going to just go like the United States. Realtors are getting second jobs. We were actually getting rid of a lot of them. Yeah. So that was kind of nice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. but, uh, so the, um, but then the strange thing happened. We saw the price reductions and there's so many people want to live in greater Vancouver area. All of a sudden the market just turned overnight. And in a very short period, we gained the 50 back and haven't really looked back since. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like the buyers decided, yeah, that's enough. That's about, thing, I'm comfortable with that discount. I'm ready to buy again. One thing that happened too is it did reach a point back in 2008 and kind of 2009 where the sellers kind of said this is enough. Like so many sellers just pulled their homes off the market. Yeah, they were not playing along. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My mom was for sale then. Yeah. My parents said separated. The family house was for sale. It was for sale for just an eternity. And I'm like, what is going on? And she's like, well, no one's buying. So, like, I'm not just going to drop everything to make something happen here. Right. They want to bring me the price I'm asking or somewhere around there. That's fine. But I, I'm not coming down to the market. I have no essential need to do this right now. And I felt like a lot of sellers just said, I got enough value in this. I can, I can wait it out. Well, and that was the big difference between us and the States is yeah. we didn't have the debt that they had that caused their their crisis. Yeah, our, our mortgages weren't structured in a way. There was no, yeah, there was no incentive for them to stay in that home. Well, like, and, and so many of their sellers had to sell. Like, you know, their mortgages yeah. were called. It, it wasn't a choice. They couldn't, couldn't get the financing. Yeah. Well, it was actually people had already bought, and then they had these bubble mortgages, and they had these huge payments at the end that they just physically couldn't do. Mm-hmm. And uh, the market just... And then the other thing that if you look where it fell in Palm Springs or in uh, Phoenix or in Florida, um, down there, their tax structure is so different that they could buy a whole bunch of homes and write them all off, um, you know, and they don't get their first home as uh, capital gains free. Right. Like we do in Canada. And so their investment homes, they just started to, to just bail on them. And uh, that really just drove the market further down. So I had a, a a little bit of bad news uh, this week. I lost I lost a buyer, which hasn't happened in oh. a very long time. And I had taken him out a bunch of times. We'd looked in Vancouver. We were starting to get ready to look in Port Moody. And he stopped returning my calls for a couple of weeks. And he was a guy who was really getting back to me all the time. And 
I finally got a hold of him, and he's dating a realtor. Oh. <laughs> and she gave him the ultimatum. <laughs> she was like, if you don't work with me, this cannot continue. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. <laughs> So, not the worst way, though, to let it go. No, I mean, I figure, you know, there's not much I can do with that. I did hit him with, like, hey, if it doesn't work out, I am still here. <laughs> well, the, the good news is that's happened to me a few times in my career where a relative or a, uh, you know, they start dating someone. And, you know, um, first of all, you know, 80% of the people who just hop in the business aren't going to be there in five years from now. Oh, yeah. So you do get them back. And, yeah. And then they realize what a good job you were doing. Yeah, we had, sure, but. we um, I met met someone just randomly, you know, at an open house. You're just chatting, and a, or a similar situation with family members where they like, oh, my brother's a realtor. Yeah, and like okay, well, and especially when the market's down and things aren't going so well, you, you're on the market now for six months with your brother. Yeah, you it can't help but get it in your head that is this person the reason why my house isn't selling because my house is amazing. There's nothing wrong with it. So right, um, you know, it can be hard to fire that family member, right? I had a listing once where midway through the listing appointment, they told me, oh, uh, the husband's dad was a realtor. And I immediately stopped. And I was like, why am I here? Because we need the price. Well, the the wife was like, I hate him. (laughs) (laughs) You can get it sometimes, too, where they're just calling in one expert, but they have no intention of hiring that person just to fact check the family member. Well, that was my fear, right? As soon as they say that, the, the... Danger alert goes off in your brain, right? Yeah, and you're like, oh, flag. am I just a price check? Yeah, right. for sure. You're not a price check. You're a price provider. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very true. Yeah, so that's kind of all that's going on, I think, with, with us so far. Matt, do we have some news I've this week? I've got some news. I like the news today. Oh, let's get into it. I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. I got a news flash for you, Walter Cronkite. I am enlightened. Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! This is Multiple Offers, a real estate show. Okay, coming into the news segment, I'm going to do uh, a little uh, technical difficulties apology. I plugged in Jeremy and Mick backwards, and that's why Mick was sounding a little low for our audience. Oh, there was there. a little, there was a little hum too, and that's why I sounded a little smarter. Yeah. <laughs> so we're cleaned wow. up. <laughs> well, Jeremy is the guy who figured it out, and he's like, "You keep turning dials, and I'm getting louder, and Mick's getting quieter. I think you're doing it wrong." Oh, is that the note he passed you? Yeah. I saw the note pass. Passing notes yeah. not on the podcast. <laughs> So apologies. That's behind the scenes stuff right there. <laughs> yeah, wow. You got to stay, stay tuned for the extras. So, so, Pulling the curtain back. Yeah, thanks for sticking through that. We're going to be good through the rest of the episode. So uh, the news that came out this week, I don't know if you guys heard about this. There's been a whole bill proposed for the province about the mega mansions on ALR, the Agricultural Land Reserve. Did you guys oh, hear about this? Interesting. No, I, I haven't. All heard I hear anything. about is Trump, something about an election <laughs> going on, skies falling, states. So I thought I'd find it in a couple of different news outlets, but it seems to be getting the most traction on global news. Uh, they're talking about, I guess the problem has been that the, re- the real wealthy people are buying up farmland mm-hmm. and they're, they're building giant mansions. Right. And then they have like, they, they maintain basic farm status by just finding the, the most minimum criteria. And they're like, well, they kept five chickens or whatever the rules are. Well, right? and someday if that status changed, 
changes, it's jackpot time because the farmland doesn't sell nearly as high value as it would if that was just regular residential. And the property land. taxes are the property taxes are dirt cheap. Yeah. You lower. know, they build a twelve thousand square foot house, they pay three thousand dollars a year in property tax. I, I was talking to somebody too in Surrey, and they'll actually the farms out in in Surrey will let people use the farmland for free. Yeah. Or sometimes even pay them. <laughs> so that they can qualify for the tax breaks. Yeah, yeah, they just open yeah. up their fence and say, "Hey, I let your your animals graze in here. You give yeah. them grazing rights, and and it's totally. done, right?" So the government is concerned that we're losing farmland, not because we can't lose it. It is in the ALR, but it's not being used for farming purposes, right? And when you build a mega mansion on a home, the value of the home, of course, has to be the house itself has to be taken into account from going forward. So those home, the, the land there becomes financially out of reach for somebody who just wants to be a farmer. Right. So they're turning into luxury properties and not actually functioning as farms. This was actually on the news a couple months ago, and it went to the Richmond uh, City Council, as I recall, Hmm. and they were trying to restrict the size of the homes that could be built. And at that time, I was told that, uh, or what I heard was that they didn't didn't pass that. So Hmm. the status quo was still there. It's possible it was the same thing. Maybe Matt's story, two. maybe. Well, it is. They do reference the uh, the Richmond decision. Yeah. So they're saying that they put a maximum size on the house of ten thousand seven hundred square feet. That's what Richmond did. Oh, okay. This proposal from the government is saying it will be about approximately. They won't give an exact number, but five thousand four hundred square feet. Half. Yeah. Wow, that's like wow. an average house. That's not big enough, in my opinion. Yeah, it's a bit. It's a bit low. You're talking about acres and acres of property, right? Yeah. And if you, when you want to build six or 7,000 square feet, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Has anyone at the table sold ALR before? I have never sold an ALR house. I, I have. I was hoping you would answer yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, uh, no, and, and you know, and when it first came in, you know, people would start little tree farms or they would have, run a few steers or try to... But most of the, like, smaller pieces were were actually homes and people tried to keep the status so they could, you know, reduce right. their taxes. Yeah. So generally the the final quote here is the government says the ability for landowners to build mega mansions was making farms unaffordable for new farmers, threatening the short and long term viability of the ALR. So that's why the government is intervening, trying not to make these giant homes. So sounds like a good idea. In theory. Nope. If it works. Yeah, this one maybe seems like not like an overreaching knee-jerk reaction, but 5,400 sounds a little restrictive. I'm curious how many new farmers there are. Like, is that an industry that a lot of new people are going into, or is that something that... Maybe this is totally off base, but I would think that a lot of the people who become farmers, it's in their family to begin with. I have to think so, too, because it's so cost-prohibitive to become one. Are you guys setting up Mick again here? I'm not as a new <laughs> as a new farmer or not so new. Oh, you, you look at all uh, right. It just feels like just feels like a total yeah. setup. Stick around <laughs> for later in the episode to find out what Jeremy's talking about. <laughs> but you know, in uh, since the '80s, like a lot of the farmland has become berry farms now, and I guess they're. I don't know really anything about it, but they obviously must be profitable because when you drive around, you see. Uh, blueberry farms everywhere. There's like the Krauss Berry Farm, and yeah, and I mean from Dreger's. Delta right out to Abbotsford, you see them. Yeah, well, something's going right. And so, if we're we're going back to the '80s, that's actually probably the segue Jer was actually looking for, because uh, we're gonna go into our main topic now, 
and we're going to go through real estate uh, decade by decade and talk about how how it's changed over the uh, brief period of uh, Mick McClendon's career. Yeah, 40 years. (laughs) (laughs) Now you want to get nuts? Come on, let's get nuts. You decide your own level of involvement. Well, I guess this is a case where we'll have to agree to disagree. I don't agree to that. Neither do I. Wrong. National debt. Wrong. Wrong. Advocate. Wrong. With that money, you lost one. Very nice words, but happens to be wrong. You're listening to Multiple Offers, a real estate show. So we're going to talk about a brief history of Greater Vancouver Real Estate. Uh, Dad, what year did you start? Uh, 1977. 1977. Whoa. That was a long time ago. Yeah, most of you weren't we born. Were, none of us were born. <laughs> so uh, before we get into that, uh, why don't we talk just really quickly about uh, why did you get into real estate? Well, um, the main reason was I had a lot of respect for my father and I uh, was working uh, for what was called the Keg and Cleaver back then and working seven days a week and thought I was just the richest guy in town. This is the, the keg? The keg, yeah. yeah. And uh, when a, if you can imagine it, the most expensive thing on the menu was $6 for their best steak. You get so. a $6 steak at the keg? Yeah. <laughs> was this in New West? In New West, yeah. The one right down at the bottom of the hill there? Yeah. So I, I started there, and then one day he called me into his den, and he said, it's time you got a real job. And I said, uh, well, I, uh, I got a real job, Dad. I don't know if you know this, <laughs> but I work at the keg. <laughs> Did you? No. you know, so I think just about everybody in New West worked there. But uh, So anyway, that's why I got into real estate, and... Um, he had a friend who owned a small real estate company and said he'd hire me, and, uh, and then it went from there. So. You didn't need licenses back then? Oh, no. You what? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just walk into your local real estate office. <laughs> no, the, the, the course was just about the same, except they didn't have the after uh, training that they have today. You know, And there were no courses for continuing education or anything like that. The good old so, days. Yeah. What, what was it like, though? You said your dad knew somebody with a real estate company and he brought you on. Was it hard to convince a brokerage to take, to take you on? Like, was it because today they brokerages fight to bring us in? They want the numbers, they want yeah, the, the headcount. The big secret for anybody who's getting into real estate is you can work wherever you want. Yeah, they're not hiring you. Pe- people get really <laughs> nervous, but really, you, you can go wherever you want. And as long as you can afford to, to pay the bill, the, and different companies have different levels of bills, um, but they're, you're not going to get denied. Yeah, so did you have to like earn your way in? Well, no, this fellow just hired me, and of course I was pretty naive about the whole business at that point, and uh, I was the only salesman there, so I was a... Like you, you were know, the only realtor there? Yeah, yeah, and he just kind of had a one-person shop. Wait, so wait, so, this guy yeah. hired... You to be the only realtor yeah. in his. So did was, they do other things? Uh, I don't know what he did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure today it'd probably be shut it's, down. It sounds like a, it's, it sounds like a front. Yeah. <laughs> mm, I got this real estate brokerage. I, I really should. And I'm not selling anything. I probably get someone to sell yeah. something. So I worked there for uh, about six months, and then just leading on to what you were saying about, I saw an ad in the paper and in. 
six months, I didn't make one sale. I, I, uh, I did get, I learned a lot, but, um, <laughs> so we did the type of real estate that was just not enjoyable at all. Like, uh, you know, total cult calling just gave me a book of names. So phone book people. go through yeah, and just... just straight. And, and there were no computers back then either. So it was very different. And then I saw an ad in the paper for a company called the permanent and uh, it said, we'll pay you $1,000 a month to come and work. So I went in there and uh, applied for the job, and I had all my stuff because I didn't know they were actually trying to hire me. And, right. And so when I went in, the f- fellow who interviewed me was very smooth and uh, listened to all this. And then he, he said, well, if you're doing all this stuff, and then he, he worked it all out that if they paid me the $1,000 a month that, that uh, I'd be losing money. So, so, he, <laughs> so he, he hired me, and, uh, and I didn't take the $1,000 a month, even though I was dead broke, hmm. and uh, went to work. And that story got told at conventions because two years later I was the top salesman in the company. Wow. And, uh, and so it, uh, he loved that story and he'd bring me up on stage and make fun of me. What did, t- did anybody take the thousand dollars a month oh, or was that just the trap no, to get you in the door? They, that was to get you to the realtors to call and they were trying to hire. Right. And in those days, you know, it was a very different business. The, the company paid all your expenses, but they took half your commissions. Right. What was the market like in, in 77? Well, 77, it wasn't very good, but I didn't know that. So, <laughs> so, so that, that really, really helped. And, and there wasn't all the articles in the papers like there is today of, you know, like watching every little tick of well, the market. You were the like keeper the, of the, the information. No, the public didn't know. And, yeah. and, uh, what I started doing, if you can imagine this, I started a big books and I recorded every sale in New Westminster because that was the only way you could find out what they were mm. and other than doing full searches. So you would go in on a listing appointment and the fellow would say, oh, Joe, my neighbor sold for X amount. And, you know, and they Mick's would like to get out the big book. book. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you had to have your info and it was it was a different business then. So things got good in the 80s. Well, things got really good in the late 70s, and everybody was buying. And if you can imagine this, in then the market just crashed in the early, like 1980, 1981. And we had our general manager. The year of my birth. <laughs> and, and, Great uh, timing, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> it was all Jeff's fault. But if you can imagine, our, our general manager came in and spoke to us as an office, and he said, uh, he said, well, if a person took a $60,000 mortgage and there only 4% of Canadians could qualify, so the whole market had to collapse. You know, the only people were buying at the end when it reached its peak were like consortiums, you know, and different groups were buying investment homes, and, you know, and they made but interest rates hit 15 and then worked their way up into the low 20s. 20%. Wow. 20% interest rate. So it just... You know, I in 1981, I had over 150 homes listed myself, 150, wow. if you can imagine that. And I would just spend all my time going from house to house, listing to listing, doing price reductions because then one person would go 10000 below the last sale and it would sell. 
and then everybody go to there, and then nothing else would sell. I mean, the market was really tough. When did you guys see it turn around? Was that a seven? You mentioned seven yeah, years sort of cycles. It, you know, as we got into the later eighties, you know, anybody that bought in, uh, you know, from eighty two, eighty three up to about eighty seven, did really good. You and know, were interest rates coming down? Or yeah, what? they started to drop, and and uh, you know, the government knew that you know the whole country was going to go bankrupt if, if they didn't do something. Yeah, right? yeah. So. Did- did you find back then, we, we were talking about this at lunch the other day, were the swing, like it seems like the market now when it swings, swings pretty fast, either way, like it either skyrockets up or plummets down, and it doesn't necessarily seem to last all that long. Were, were the changes in the market, were the durations longer back I, then? I, I would say definitely, Yeah, you know, um, and uh, yeah, you know, and, but when, when it got turned off, it got turned off hard, you Yeah. Know? So, you know, it was uh, it was a tough time in real estate. Well, and I guess we weren't a, really an international market back then either. Not so at all. there's not if to, the locals can't it, afford to buy, nobody can afford. Well, to one buy, of right? the the big things was when Expo came here and we caught the most beautiful summer ever. Like it started off and and all these people came to Vancouver. That's and, why I'm here. You know. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, my dad my dad came to Expo from Edmonton. Yeah. Really? He's like I want to live. This here. is nice. I'm going to live there one day. Hmm. Three years later, that 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 was so perfect. It was like you guys <laughs> yeah. planned it. Yeah, <laughs> it uh, thanks. <laughs> it, uh, so yeah, that kind of started it, and then the word got out. And I, I remember this friend of mine who came for Expo, and he said, "If you can imagine this, it never rains here, eh?" <laughs> <laughs> so of course, all the people in BC said, uh, "Yeah, no, it never rains." Yeah. So. You know, and, and of course our, you know, the, the numbers, the population of greater Vancouver at that time then just started to increase and increase. So it was total different. So uh, if we're in the 1980s, at, at what point does the pager and or cell phone get introduced into the real estate business? I was just going to ask that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know. You don't have to give an exact year. I'm yeah. Not, it's not a test. I, <laughs> we had pagers, as I recall. You know, right from when I started, but they... Oh, so even in the 70s? Yeah, yeah we pagers. had pagers, but but cell phones weren't around. And um, and then I got a, uh, a a phone, like, like that was attached to make a call. I had to phone an operator, <laughs> and then she would call the person. Now, was this a car phone at that this point? This was a car phone. So you plugged it, it, this Only in. because it needed the car battery. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and Did then... Did it plug into the lighter jack? Is that how it got its... Oh, it was hardwired. I had to have it installed. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. This wasn't portable at all. You get that done in McLennan Motors? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For those who don't know, my father came to New Westminster in the 1940s after World War II and started McLennan Motors. So, total side note, uh, Jerry and I saw a van outside of his uh, yeah. complex a little while ago, a, 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 an old red Ford van with like an Did authentic it have a McLennan Motors, McLennan Motors oh. tag on the back. Yeah, and they cool. uh, the they had the Patella Bridge on their their sticker. So, you know, it's uh, only we had photographic proof. Sorry, side note, uh, hardwired into the car. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that was uh, and you know, and if you were going to talk on the phone, it was like an embarrassment. Like you didn't want to let anybody want to see you talk on a, on the phone because no one had a phone. Was that when lines would get crossed? Well, 
Yeah. That's a long time yeah. ago, too, though. Yeah. No, but... No. Like well, what, what would tell Jared about what, he, what I'm talking about. Yeah, I, I can't tell that story here. But, <laughs> it, uh, but what, what would happen is someone would make a call, and then the, and you could listen to all the phone calls that were going on it when you're driving around. And so sometimes they would say, oh, an operator, I want to make another call. And the first call sometimes was to their spouse, mm-hmm. and the second call was sometimes to their girlfriend. Oh, yeah. So it, that could be a problem. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. good. <laughs> So anyway, Just anybody else can hear. Anybody could hear. <laughs> Did and you ever pick up on any other like real estate stuff? Like your 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 competitor is making a phone call. And you're <laughs> I like, always oh. thought I was the only realtor in BC that had one, but it probably wasn't. <laughs> was it? Was it? If you saw, if you did see someone with a car phone, was it just like predominantly? You're like realtor. That's a realtor. You can tell. Well, or guys with way nicer cars than I had. <laughs> so yeah, you know, and not many realtors had phones at the very start. But remember, it was a different business, too. Like, if if someone phoned you and you got back to them within 24 hours, they were really happy. Hmm. Now, if someone phones you and you don't get back to them within five minutes, they're, they're like, not happy if it's, like... I was know. talking yesterday. If you don't get back to somebody in 24 hours, if they're calling to say, like, hey, Mick, I, I'm thinking of getting my house on the market. Or, hey, Mick, I saw a place that I like. If you call 24 hours later, they have a new realtor. Yeah. yeah, like that, yeah. that's just it. They just moved on. <laughs> yeah. No, it was totally different than the expectations of, you know, of getting back to people then. Of course, you know, first of all, remember, there wasn't any computers. There were, like, you know, and people, it was just totally different. And then the first cell phone I bought was called the Brick. I, I, it was the Zach Morris cell phone. You know? Nice. Dad should, probably should does not yeah. get that reference. <laughs> no, I don't. But uh, uh, there was a show called Saved by the Bell, oh, yeah. which uh, I'm sure Matt and Jeremy watched as well. Um, yeah, I've been Zach Morris for Halloween. <laughs> it, oh, you, you could totally be Zach Morris. Um, but anyway, uh, Zach Morris on the show had your cell phone, that big gray brick with the giant thick antenna. Um, and it was pretty cool <laughs> on the show. Yeah. My mom had one of those. Yeah. And she had the most amazing cell phone experience because someone broke into our house. And she walked into the house not knowing someone was there mm-hmm. and then saw them like face to face. And she was like, holy shit. And so she runs out of the house, gets in her car, and she's got her giant brick cell phone in her car. One of the only people in town to have one. It was only because she was in emergency medicine and yeah. dials 911 and is like on in, a, in town on a car chase on her brick cell phone. It was like this amazing feat of technology. I totally thought that that story was going to go that she threw the cell phone. Because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that thing was massive. That's, that's, what I thought. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's why we call it the brick. But Take if you can out. imagine, for those who uh, you know are, are complaining when you pay $600, the f- first time when I bought it, we, and a buddy of mine, we bought two, and we paid $1,900. So, wow. you know, and that's when houses were like sixty grand. So, you and you know. didn't even get access to all of human knowledge in the phone <laughs> no. at that no. point. <laughs> it, uh, the only thing was, though, that, that that particular phone had a stronger signal. And a lot of realtors, uh, you know, it's gotten better now, but uh, they held on to them even though they were massive. So when, when the 90s hit, that's when my now retired partner, Jerry Major, started in the business. And when he, when he first started, he said he didn't have a cell phone. He just had a pager. 
It right. wasn't a baller like Dad, Nick. Dad probably remembers when Jerry Major started. Did he must have been somewhere before he came to Advantage? But you would have known Jerry when he came. You would have been there already. Oh, when... I, I worked with Jerry for years. Yeah. 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 So so Jerry was was social though, and so all I want to say about the Pager is that when he was first working, he was a, he was a younger guy. Obviously, he started out younger and going out to parties and stuff. And he said his nickname with all of his friends was Jerry. Can I borrow your phone? Oh, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he just show up with his pager. He'd be like, "Hey guys, sorry I'm late. Can I borrow your phone?" Hmm. And he'd just sit there and go through, get his pager out, and go through using his friend's phone. So he refused to have a cell phone, <laughs> I think but then would have to call, make calls. Use on everybody other else. Well, I think at first he couldn't afford it. Oh, right. He wasn't right. a baller like Mick here. He was. Uh, he's just getting started. Yeah. So he had the had the pager and just that's all he could do is he's just he's running to pay phones he's running to people's friends houses all he got was a phone number so he just knew there was someone to call for something and then had to yeah. if you want to see a, a, a good movie that references kind of all this stuff is glenn gary glenn, glenn glenn ross glenn am i saying that right yeah glenn gary the glenn running ross. to pay phones not not quite the same situation as, as what we have here well i had a question though about pagers what is um what was the turnaround time expected turnaround time on i just sent mick a page is it is that twenty four hours that you're going to call me back? Yeah, back then it was still yeah it was if you got back within the day, people were were fine. I mean, I I always tried to get back to people right away. You know, mm. you know. And would you use that? That would be on your business card. You'd have office number, pager number, or was that just for like I think special? The pager was the office, wasn't it? Yeah. Didn't they call and they'd tell a receptionist, and then the receptionist would. They yeah. I remember doing that as a kid. They you would call the that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they would I want to talk to my dad. <laughs> they would page it uh through the office and and it would go from there. But the the big big change was computers, you know, when especially for actual realtors cuz back in those days most realtors would sell a house and not even keep track of who they had sold them to. You know, it was just one deal at a time, kind of more like a car salesman. Yeah. And then it changed, you know, where... Oh, um, so you're talking about with the, the database, not necessarily yeah, even the internet. The database, yeah. The houses are still in a book at this point. Uh, yeah, we've got tear-out sheets for each area, and, and then we would uh, put them in little three-ring binders. Each morning you'd come in and all the new listings would be there. And then, of course, no one would... Your, your buyers weren't getting notifications, so then you would phone them and say, "Oh, I've, I've uh, found uh, two or three new listings," and try to get them out to see the places. So the, the new listings would show up. Yeah. So we, they came by area. So, so you, you probably had to be much more of an area specific realtor than a lot of agents are. Like a lot of today, most agents will work work the whole lower mainland. And, yeah. Yeah. And, no, yeah. back then it was you just worked because. If you were a good realtor, then you got knowledge, and so when you went in on an appointment, you would know every sale where someone who was coming in from, uh, say, Vancouver to, to pick it, they, they would have no way of finding out that information. So they didn't put out books full of sale prices? Not, not they started in, uh, they, the, the board started to put them out, and I can't remember what, I, th- I think they started to publish like every... They would do a small book once a month. Yeah. And, you know, but it was, but you had to go research it. So it, in the beginning, did you have to actually, like, if Matt sold a place and you needed to know that for a listing you were working on, would you have to just call each agent and be like, hey, what did that sell? Like, how did people get that information? Well, you, you had a thing called the microfish, which... The microfish. So, microfish, which was from land registry. So I would buy that 
And so I would look up the houses and I could see their history. So the but, office had a machine for one of those? Well, to tell you the truth, uh, you know, I worked for a national firm back there called The Permanent, and they had the one machine in Edmonds. There was, it's now a high-rise there. Mm. So you had to drive over there and, and use that machine if you want to get the information. And so what I did was I went out and bought the microfiche reader and bought all the things, and I had that in my office. What, what did this thing look like? Oh, it's huge. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen one? You haven't seen one? I, I'm not. City Hall has I mean, I've, I've got yeah. a, an idea yeah. in my head of, of this, like. Magnifier. This is, how, this is how depressing the change in technology was. When I went to university, yeah. I still had to use it. Yeah. A microfish, just because yeah. archives a lot of times are yeah, just condensed. They're, they're right? like, oh no, we don't we don't have those those old records from the eighties digital. So the only way you can read them is to look at them. A microfiche it was messed up. I'm really curious though, Mick, because you talked about how they came out with a book of sales, yeah. right? So now this information is is getting a little more widely available. It right. used to be that you were the holder, the gatekeeper. You yeah. did a lot of volume, so you maybe knew more than others. Was that a scary thing in the business where you thought, oh my gosh, this is going to change still, everything? It, it still wasn't going out to the public back then. You know, and that was, and I, I cannot remember when that changed, but, you know, probably as computers came on board. Yeah, but, but you worked hard to get all those sales and record them and, and your own little database. Oh, for sure. You and know, because that, that wouldn't show any exclusives or any, you know, so, you know, you couldn't just pull up the tax rolls and look through a block and find out. So something. it wasn't intimidating yet? No, not at all. What about no. when the 90s computers started to put MLS out there for the buyers to find properties themselves? Well, I I actually thought that was one of the opening that made our business far better. You know, it was a time where, um, you know, like a lot of people think, oh, the real estate realtors are a thing, they're going to be a thing of the past. But, but boy, people want your advice. And so I've never felt that way. I like it that they've got more information and knowledge. So clearly you were the wise one of the bunch. Was it, did you feel that a lot of your colleagues though felt that, letting that information out to the public was going to erode <laughs> their, well, their uh, you know, position? When, when I started and, and I, you know, I started sending out letters to people, you know, as a way, I didn't like cold calling. So I would send them a letter before I would, you know, introducing myself. And, uh, some of these guys like would yell at me, you know, cause I I had a little typewriter and I was sending stuff out and then I was making too much noise. And, you know, it, it was a different business. It was a very old person business. And, and uh, hmm. um, you know, where today, you know, everybody got to the office in suit and ties and a jacket. And, you know, it was a different business then, you know. And, and I think, uh, you know, business has changed dramatically. What do you, is there, is there something... When you look back on the business, let's just pause through the going through the timeline for a second. When you look back at the beginning, is there anything that we've lost that you think is a shame? <laughs> the parties. <laughs> <laughs> no, the business really changed. You know, like uh, um, it, it was. You know, every, the, it, the real estate industry used to just shut down in December. You yeah, know, and and all the lawyers and notaries would have open houses, and it was very very social. Where um, you know, and I think the realtors in offices were closer together. You know, they would go and meet at the office, and there was more social aspect too. Yeah, a lot of people work from home now. 
Yeah, like, I mean, now, like, no one worked from home, you know? Like, I mean... Well, where would you find the microfish? Yeah. <laughs> or, the, or the fax machine. Yeah. Well, in the, in the, like, the realtor-to-realtor inter-office yeah. know, courier and I all that stuff. I couldn't believe they got rid of that. I love that. <laughs> it, uh, that was like our own little FedEx, basically. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, for, but for the general public, the, the changes were all positive. And, and I, I feel that, uh, um, you know, even when you go in on a, an appointment, like, like sometimes you go in on an appointment and just to pick an old figure, say the house was worth, if you can imagine this, $70,000. And, and the owner would say, well, I, I think I should get 110. So, you know, almost like just a crazy amount more and it would have no chance of selling, you know, and, where today, in today's world, the, when you go in on a listing appointment, they've got a pretty good idea of value, of range. They want to know your marketing plan now. They want to know how yeah, you're Yeah, it's more about how it. you're going to sell it rather yeah. than just, I know you what know, this will sell for. Where, where before it was the only, I mean, it still comes down to this somewhat, but the, the public now is far more knowledgeable. And it's not just who says the highest price that gets the listing. I, I want to add that I think one thing we've, really gotten away from that is a shame and this is even since i started is the art of sitting down at the table with clients now that we've got electronic signatures and we can email everything there's a real lost art form and when the market got crazy you sometimes couldn't like there wasn't time to get and sit down in person but there's so much more uh that can be conveyed and and I i think we're a lot more helpful to our, our clients when we're able to actually meet them in person and talk to them and, and figure out their needs. And, and there's just, it's totally a lost art and presenting to other realtors. Well, it's a huge, it's a huge part of what you're doing for your client. And, and it, uh, um, you know, with agency now, we have to be so careful what we say and different things where, you know, I mean, I, I remember, uh, you know, I've always thought one thing, that if the buyer's not happy and the seller's not happy, you're probably not going to make a sale. So, you know, and, and in the old days, uh, you know, the two realtors after presenting the offer would come out and and say, okay, like, where can we get this together? And a lot of negotiating went on between the realtors. And then, of course, the, both clients had to be happy, but you would make the sale and, and both parties were happy where today's world there's very little of that and and i really i mean i ask every time if i can present my offer and especially in a multiple offer you know your show is called multiple offer you know i mean i want to show up and even have my client there and and if there are some changes we can give an answer right away and i think the sellers appreciate that i was curious you talked about how today with all the information that's available a seller has a good idea of what their home is worth so you have to talk about a marketing plan. The expectations now, as they understand about price, they understand what should be done or they have expectations for marketing. Now there's a basic idea of professional photography, of uh, you know, floor plan is pretty much almost, it's on 90% of listings now. What was it like when all of these expectations really ramped up in the last, it's only been like five years. Like, how did that feel? Yeah, that's changed as even you since 2010. 
Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. I started in the business in 2010, and, and yeah. there's, I mean, I was taking our, our, we were taking our own pictures, we were measuring everything ourselves, and that was perfectly acceptable. And I was a little late to accept professional photography because I felt it was overstating the home. Right. It was a little too much, but once it became normal, it's like, well, now this is just normal, and people are learning how to translate these pictures. Well, I've actually had buyers get mad because the pictures are so good, they don't look like the house. So Matt, what they, episode do we talk about that on? Oh, okay. <laughs> it, uh, oh, shoot. Oh, did I? That's, I think, pretty sure that's episode 20. The, yeah. The Magical Art of Real Estate Photography there you with go. Daniel Dobson. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of our most listened to episodes, actually. There you go. Yeah. It, uh, but, you know, like you'll go in and the home will be absolutely gorgeous, for example. You know, one of those just perfect houses. And the client will say, well, what do you think about staging? And... I'll look around. The house is perfect, you know. But obviously, there's been another realtor there who's offered staging. And so, you know, it's it's uh, really just a way to try to get the listing, you know. And sometimes it's just not needed, you know. And oftentimes, they're, they're, they're selling something that they don't, they're not even actually doing. Their, their idea of staging is uh, getting a, a stager to come in and have a consultation and tell them where to put the bowl of apples. Yeah. Not actually providing furniture, which is the the expensive part of staging. Well, and it's funny, too, because, you know, I was showing homes uh, two days ago, and we walked into the five listings we looked at, three were staged. And the buyers know. Like, they walk in, they go, oh, this place is staged. Oh, these guys must be really desperate. (laughs) Like, you know, because, you know, you can tell. Was that when you were at our listing, Mick? Uh, Was this your tour on Sunday afternoon? No, yours isn't staged. Well, no, depends not, which one. Yeah, the one you keep, the one, the one oh, we yeah, saw you in the open. That one, yeah. yeah. That, one sure <laughs> <laughs> that one needs furniture, though, because otherwise yeah. it feels small. Yeah. Who but. staged that? <laughs> it would have been empty otherwise. <laughs> There's nobody living there. Well, and, and empty homes do look smaller without furniture. I don't know why it works that way, but it's more than just but, but lipstick. Here, here's reality, in my opinion. Okay. <laughs> so, like, a, a competing perspective. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what happens is, like, when people come in and see a vacant house, they're far more likely to write an offer. Now, and what I've found over the years is if once they're interested and they write an offer, they end up paying a fair price. So I think when you get a vacant home, a lot of times you'll get more offers on the property than something that looks like they're still living there and maybe it's priced a little too high, you know, where they where the buyer says, oh, well, these people must be anxious, so I might get a good deal, so let's write, write it. Then they come back with the counter and they by this time they like the home and they're excited about it and they end up paying a, a fair price. And, and so staging always isn't the go-to. I, I agree with you, not always, but I do think... And I'm I'm breaking our. We're supposed to be a team versus the new West unified guys. front. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but don't but, worry, Jeff. Jeremy and I have never disagreed on the show. I know, never. <laughs> um, I do think, depending on layout, there's definitely times, especially in layouts that have maybe smaller bedrooms, where if there's no furniture in there, the buyer will walk in and be like, "My bed won't fit here. It'll never fit in here." Yeah. yeah. And then if you at least have a bed in there, it doesn't have to be a fancy, crazy yeah. bed. But you have a bed of the right size. When they walk in, they're like, oh, okay, this works. Like, this oh, makes sense. I mean, that's, like, that's, there's a lot of truth in that. Like, when you think of new home, uh, you know, like the show homes. Yeah. And, and they've got a bed in there. Well, and instead of it a six-foot bed, it's a 
five foot ten or five yeah. foot eight bed. They have them custom built. The bathroom looks amazing. There's nowhere to hang the towels, well, but it looks amazing. There's no door. <laughs> yeah, they take the doors off. You know. So, what do you think has been your greatest frustration? Then, as this has happened over the last you know fifteen years, we've evolved to magazine style photography, staging. Um, Floor plans. Like, is there anything that you that sort of really grinds your gears? You are. Pet, I, I wish it peeves. was. Well, my my <laughs> biggest pet peeve in the industry. My thing that I found the hardest is when the charter rights allowed for part time realtors, and I feel this is a disservice to the public. You know, I'm trying to show a listing and they won't return my calls because they're putting out fires or driving a cab or doing things. So I believe that. Disclosure. We talk about disclosure at great lengths now that it should have to be made to the public if you're not a full-time realtor. Yeah, if you can't return a call between 9 to 5, the seller should know that. They should yeah. still be allowed to hire you if they don't care. But well, Because they... <laughs> they're probably going to be your brother. So yeah. <laughs> it, uh, you know, and then the place didn't sell. But, but that, I think that, you know, that we need to be professional in our industry. We're doing all kinds of great things like you know, in education and, and so, but, but we have a responsibility to the public to do a good job for them. Dealing with hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars, people's big assets. And yeah, you kind of want, it's a good question to ask, I guess, if you're, yeah, if you're interviewing boy, that, agents, boy, if I was, <laughs> no one asked, uh, you know, I, I think it should be a rule about the board, but they won't, you know, they say it's unconstitutional. So, but if, Anybody's listening to this, that would be the first question I would ask. And, and uh, you know, the next question I'd ask, too, is if are you in Medallion Club? You know, because if you're not in Medallion Club, unless you're new, you know, but if you're a full-time or a part-time realtor and you're, you're not in Medallion, you're probably not working that hard, you know. Which is interesting because Medallion Club is actually the top 10% Correct. of the industry. But what I think a lot of people don't realize is there's a good chunk of realtors who sell no homes a year, one or two homes a year. There's a lot of people with their real estate license that really aren't working. So the, yeah. the stats get skewed a little bit. Yeah, for sure. You know, Let's get back to the timeline. So let's go to the year 2000. How does, how does real estate change in the year 2000? Kind of sounds like the future. <laughs> <laughs> what year did you start? I started 2006. Okay, so the market was still okay then. <laughs> yeah, no, it, uh, you know, everybody talked about the world falling, but by that time we were, you know, everybody was computerized. There was more and more knowledge getting out there. Um, and we just started to have our population increasing like crazy. And where we, I think, you know, from the early 2000s, we saw huge jumps in property values and and uh um interest rates were dropping hard and so you know it was actually a great time to be selling real estate when when did when did the ml it was ml exchange was that the first rendition of that's what i had in 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 2008 when i started but when were when was it officially the listings were put onto the computer well i sat on and i you know i I sat on a board trying, the real estate board tried to develop their own program. And we came up, they tried to get realtors that were working, that were using it all the time to come up with a system. And and I'm sorry, I don't remember the year, but they ended up not buying that and going to, uh, you know, a bot MLS. And then they tried, you know, but 
But again, I think one of the biggest things is being able to notify people now of, you know, their needs for the listing that where they're automatic getting notification and that must have been a huge change too, because even when I started, I remember you talking about driving around New West looking for signs. Well, in in a really hot market, um, you know, like some of the marketing tricks that are not tricks is the wrong word, but marketing strategies of you know, and and a lot of the public when the market's hot do not like it where. They say no offers till Monday or things like that. That didn't go on back then. So, you know, so you would, I would get up at five in the morning and drive the streets and look for a new listings and then try to get my buyers in right away. And if it was something they liked, get an offer in, mm. you know. So it was, it was different. And <laughs> there was, the computer was there, but, you know, that would, and even today, it takes two or three days to hit the MLS. So, it was a way of getting your buyers there quicker. Right. But let's go back to the market changing or not changing. So my father, who got me into the industry, one day came in and he said to me, we're having dinner at home, and he said, uh, you know, I can always tell how the market is in New Westminster. He said, if I drive along 8th Avenue <laughs> and there's, there's lots of sold signs, then I know the market's really good. And he said, when the market's bad, they're all for sale, nothing's selling. Oh, that's so true. You know, <laughs> so, you know, when you think about that, it, it really is true. You know, at, uh, in a really good market, everything's selling, you know, and when the market gets tougher, the people are more picky about their location. Yeah, the busy streets buying. are way harder yeah, to sell. Way harder, yeah. I can't go back and reference which episode we talked about that. Oh, right. Matt. Might have been episode seven. So I think we're closing in on modern times where where all of us will actually have been around to to have seen the changes. So from when we go from early 2000s to now, to me, one of the biggest changes is in uh, buyer behavior. I When I got started, there was no GPS. And I remember one of the first pieces of advice uh, dad gave me was drive the route. So I'd get to my showings like an hour early. I'd drive the route, make sure I was taking the so most you're efficient You're talking route. about your tour, so you've got Yeah, four. so I've got four, four homes to show, yeah. for example. And I'd drive around, make sure I knew how to get to each one of them, and then I'd go pick the buyer up and take them and, and go. And since GPS came out, I find it's very rare that buyers want to actually ride in the car with you. I, I can tell because my, my car washing bills have gone down dramatically. <laughs> yeah, and I, th- I think that's probably one of the biggest mistakes that uh, realtors today make because that's when you're part of, I, I often say to a potential buyer, I said, I want you to, you're not going to hurt my feelings when you're telling me about the property, but I need to find out what they're liking and not liking about a property. So then I can narrow it down to find the home that they want. Mm -hmm. And it's a way that, you know, when you're out looking at homes for a couple hours that you get to know people, you know, and so, and so you develop a relationship, you learn what they want, and then you find that property where if you're not getting any feedback and you're just looking at an MLS, well, they, say they want this, this, and this, but 
when you start listening to them, you may find out other things that are very important to them. Yeah, if you're not tri- traveling in the same car, yeah. you need to find a way to artificially recreate that experience, whether that's sitting down for a coffee after the tour or whatever. But you need that time yeah. to get to know the buyer and what they like and don't like and and all of their tastes. Yeah, that, I mean, that's certainly... There are other ways to find it out, but... It would happen very naturally in the car. Yeah, I, I would find that... Uh, that was, you know, I always want the people to come in my car, and I still do. Now, yeah. the one thing I do with GPS, they'll say I'm, I'm going to show, and I'm not sure of the area. Of course, if it's in New West, I, I don't have to put anything in. But, but say you're in an area where you're not as familiar, I put in all my addresses before Beforehand, I pick up the yeah. client. Mm. You know, so it. Uh, but GPS has been uh, been pretty good. Yeah, I can remember. Actually, it kind of brings back memories of. Yeah, I remember you having like maps for people and stuff, or like just double checking because oh. it must have been. It must have been pretty not too far after when when we started, but yeah. that that it sort of became more prevalent. I, but I used to print out MapQuest. Yeah. <laughs> Do you yeah. guys remember MapQuest? Oh yeah. <laughs> well, we gave out the real estate board sold book map books, map books. for the whole Greater Vancouver area, and they were kind of cool too because they showed the sub areas in those maps right. so people could look and then say to you oh i want this sub area right so when i had a new buyer i always gave them uh one of those map books you know so yeah. that's- I, I feel like it's a product of technology though partly why the buyers don't get in the car like yes gps yeah. but they're just they are more informed on the listings yeah. yeah i find the list also gets a little shorter like in the last three years part of it is because so many properties were sold like you don't get a lot of opportunity to see yeah. You, don't, you don't tour five or six properties. You go to maybe one or two with your agent because the rest are sold. This is the new one that fits your criteria. We're going to see it now. So you just meet there. Well, and I, I always tell buyers at the start, too. I'm like, at the start, there's lots to look at, but you're not going to like any of it because it's all the stuff that's been on the market that other people haven't bought. And then the new listings are going to come on. But there's only going to be a couple, right, Like to look at at a time. And yeah, I mean, we used to do four or five listings a tour all the time now matt you're totally right it's it's all oftentimes you're looking at one or two at a at a time well what i've been saying to like the way i feel like we're in you know everybody's saying oh we're in a slower market right now and and uh but i love this market this is a time where you can give your buyers great service um your sellers have a selection like you know they can go out and not just have one or two places to look at. And if they get there, the market's not so bad that if you get it priced right, I mean, you guys were just talking, you had a multiple offer last week. Um, you know, places are still selling and, and you're still seeing seeing lots of sold. So this market is where the good realtors do really well. The people are prepared to work and give service to their clients. And have difficult conversations with sellers. Well, yeah. you know what? The sellers kind of know. You know, some, some, yeah, yeah but it's still, it's, a, it's, it's still not a, as, I, I know it's, but they're not surprised when you can show them why, you know, if you're, if you are priced too high. We talk about technology with GPS and then we talked about making, being face to face, presenting offers, negotiating offers. So the other element of technology that's been introduced and it's new for all four of us. Like I was resistant to electronic email signatures at first because we all know the value of sitting face-to-face with people. Right. But there's also value in expediency Mm -hmm. and convenience. And sometimes the client just likes to say, just send it to me, I'll send it back. And for us, I mean, it's amazing. It's probably added 
eight or ten hours to each of our weeks. All of our wives really appreciate electronic yeah. signatures. I, it's been a long time <laughs> since I've had to throw on a pair of slacks at eight p.m. and run out to get an initial. Right. Yeah, and and I I remember this so well because you know uh, Jeff has developed into a fabulous realtor now, and but how, one how day did he we start. Were, <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry, we talked about that in episode one. Actually, have you, have, you, have you heard his first open house story? Yes, he told okay. the story on right, the on yeah. the show. Yeah, <laughs> my phone my my uh, my phone rings. Dad, Dad. <laughs> They want to write. <laughs> His very first open. So anyway, but but we were sitting a in natural the, from the start. Yeah, it. Uh, I thought, well, I trained him well. It, uh, but I, I'll never forget. We were in the office and we, we were talking about electronics, and he, he did two price reductions that needed to be done. And he and I said, well, you should go over and see the people because I believe in relationships and. And developing that, and Jeff turned to me and says, "Well, I already got them done, Dad. You know, like that would have taken me a whole day. You know, and he, you know, and he was on to, you know, doing other things that were worth doing. And and uh, so, I mean, and and I, clients seem to really appreciate that, especially if they're they're traveling or if they're somewhere. And and a lot of people still aren't used to it. It's it, in their pajamas, watch yeah. TV, take two seconds, pull out your phone." Especially if there's like an error or something, which happens, or just you miss something, you could drive all the way home like crap. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, Jeremy, I've got a pro tip for you because Matt keeps mentioning technology that he's resistant to. Yeah, and uh, my partner Mick McLennan <laughs> is, is is often resistant to new technology yeah. as well. And what what I've learned over the years, and you're you're a tech guy, you you like new new technology, is I just integrated and integrated into the business. And then when clients start liking it, dad has to learn. <laughs> it's my, my mood. Like I just, at the start, I'd tell dad about stuff and he'd be like, ah, I don't know. And I've learned now just to start doing it. And then, we, he, and then he has to. We kind of had that with the, with the boxes. We rent people boxes, like these hard shell, really nice cases that make yeah. moving so much easier. Um, and Debbie was our assistant was talking to us about it, like, oh yeah, we paid the invoice for the boxes or whatever. And Matt's like, what boxes? <laughs> <laughs> and now people, everyone just expects them. <laughs> oh yeah, we pay for boxes. <laughs> but you know what's really funny because it goes full circle. But I was like leading edge for technology back in the seventies and early eighties. Yeah, you had a I ten thousand dollar phone. Well, and we <laughs> we brought in. It took a whole room, and we had a a. Um, Computer. It wasn't really a computer. It, it punched out letters, and we would enter on cards all the addresses in in the area, and then it would just start spitting out letters. And they were, you know, what, what did they call label it? maker? No, but they had label maker. But they they had the little dots to braille. Yeah, braille. That's it. <laughs> the Dewey the so, decimal system. Anyway, it might be. <laughs> but but I, I remember being called in on a listing appointment, and uh, the poor fellow was in the hospital, and and uh, his son was there, and he, he said, uh, "I want to list my house with Mick McLennan here, and he's got my letter, you know." And I've never met him before. Now, no one sent out letters back then, and, and his son said, "Dad, that's just from." This machine spit that out. He doesn't know who you are. He sent me a personal letter. <laughs> I'm going to list with him. So you know, but so I was ahead of the 
the curve back then, and 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 it just blew right by me. But We're now talking dot matrix, sorry, dot matrix. Came yeah. to me. <laughs> Thank you. That's what it was. But but uh, now when I'm on an appointment, I say just just to show that we're the best team here. Um, <laughs> it's on that I have the old school relationships with people, and my son's just killer on all the tech stuff. So we work together, and you get the best of both worlds. Well, my, my love of real estate, or well, not real estate, all technology definitely comes from. Like when I was a kid, you would be so excited when you came home with some new gadget. Yeah, and like I've totally got that from. From you of like oh man there's something new oh man it's so fun <laughs> yeah. i feel like i could be the mick of the relationship though because i'm i'm kind of getting tired of technology i hate social media well you're you're a strange <laughs> duck because you don't like technology that other people tell you about but you really like to be on the inside and tell people like if you've got like, for what name one instance well for a while there anything apple that was new you you were really like the apple bandwagon you need to know how this works. You need to know. You, I was the one because I used an Apple. People were like, "Oh, if you got an Apple question, you got to ask Jared." No, but you I didn't were like know on what... Apple forums, and you you were like hardcore for. I I think the trick is it's not technology. I think you just really like having a little inside info, just in general, just a little bit. Yeah, I mean, like you were so excited when you took Matt and I to that new Donair place, and we both liked it. I do like inside info. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it was really good. Like you yeah. were right, um, yeah. but, but now I hate Apple. And Android equally. Okay, so you're just old and grumpy. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> so so I'm the Mick. No. <laughs> there you go. This is this is what I like about having Mick on the show. Though is you've gone through a lot of changes. You've had some real wisdom in it. When the the MLS system comes out and people are up in arms, it says no, you're taking the power away from the realtors. And you're like, no, this is a good thing for the public. It gives them information, and you accept technology, and you accept new ways of doing it. So the next evolution of real estate looks like sometime in the next five to 10 years, sales information is going to become public. Yeah, it's already happening in Toronto. Right. The, all of the sales data that, that some people interpret is what makes us important, right? So in the <laughs> wisdom of Mick, when we start putting that out there and say, okay, now the public has access to the, all the MLS listings and they know the sale prices, they still need us. Oh, they totally do. And, and uh, you know, a, a lot of, like, you know, you go over to England and they... Uh, they have to uh, show their own houses. You know, they've got a really weird MLS system over there, and people don't like it, you know. And, uh, you know, I think you just have to, as long as you keep giving service to your clients and showing value, um, you know, it's like yesterday I was on a listing appointment, and there's an, an apartment next door that might go multifamily. And he said, oh, he said, well, I'll go into the city hall and, find out about that and I said no no I said I'll do that for you I said I know kind of a little better what questions to ask and so I went in found out all the information and and now so that's a service to my client you know I feel in some ways this actually could turn us back into more needing of area specialist buyers looking consumers looking for the guy in the in the area because now they have so much information it is some of those little minute things little details that the they insider won't, knowledge they won't they won't that know Jared like, loves to have well like <laughs> make, maybe mix book about sales now is mixed book of i know that this building needs its roof you know we already do this for buildings around town yes but this isn't going to be on your zillow well, or space. zolo what, what is it well there's zillow and there's zolo <laughs> what's the one in the state Z- zillow came no zolo came here already and didn't really do too well zillow is coming and is going to be pretty cool when it 
when it gets here. So much information. They they give yeah. the public a, a Is that ton in the states of, now? It's it's massively yeah. successful. Well, People actually their stock there. took a huge hit yesterday. Um but in general, it's a very successful company. They they work with realtors in the states and they they essentially give the public a ton of information and then they have kind of Realtors based on a rating system and an area that then they recommend to people right. and, and away they go. But, you know, back to your comment on specializing in, in the area. Right now, with all the things that have happened in New Westminster with the zoning changes and what the city's trying to do for certain areas for possible townhouses, uh, knowing the ins and outs of Queen's Park is, is crucial, you know, and, uh, you know, and there's a lot of that just isn't. Like they'd they'd have to study for weeks to get all that information. Where we've been to the public meetings, you know, and you know, so I th- I think there still will always be great value, L- lots of value for a have. good realtor, yeah. not a part time realtor. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So we've had a lot of stories about the past, and we've probably uh, from from Mick and Jeff's side monopolized a bit of the storytelling. I think it's time for Matt and Jared to tell a story. It's story time with Jer. Great story. Compelling and rich. It's not always my story? No, it's not always your story. What if Matt has an awesome story to tell? Well, he can tell it to me or write it down and I will (laughs) paraphrase. This is Multiple Offers, a real estate show. Jeremy and I have been teasing this for, I swear, like six weeks now about how we might eventually like six months. get to tell the story <laughs> of the nightmare tenant. And the reason why it's an important story to tell is because so often we get clients who say, hey, does this allow rentals here? I think I might want to bring in a tenant one day. Hey, I think I want to get a rental property. It's like, have you ever had one? Yeah. Do you know what's really involved with having a tenant? Because what might happen is you go and you spruce up your apartment a little bit. This one was built in the 80s. They put in new carpeting in the bedrooms, some new flooring, do some a little bit of stuff. And within three years, they have run this thing down to being essentially worthless. Hmm. Like every finishing piece inside of the home, and they've got a $750 damage Was deposit. this an updated home, or was it kind of original? It was half, half and half. Like, they're, we're going to rent it out, so we'll fix some things around the place, maybe throw in some laminate flooring, new carpet. But not super high Paint, Correct. but... Right. Yeah. yeah. So so we've got that part. The damage is done. You know, you can go and you can make your uh, attempts to pursue that in small claims court and get some money back. The other problem is these tenants, and I don't care if you guys are listening, you stinking millennials. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Matt, there he said the it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Uh, they're, they're a young couple and they felt like every, that we, we are doing so much for you and being so cooperative for you and Jeremy. Uh, we have been so accommodating. We've allowed showings this two hour window once every week. <laughs> okay. You call and you want to talk to us and we get back to you. Two days two day, later, two days later, send a text like, "Hey, you know, wondering about access for this." They damaged stuff in the home. We were going to pay to replace the stuff that they damaged just to help sell it. And we texted them. We're like, "Hey, uh, you've been complaining to your landlord that the dryer's broken, and he's bought a new one, but you haven't accepted delivery. And we're going to come in and do these repairs with our guy. Can you give us three days, three different times and days, for us to coordinate a person to come in and do this for you?" And nah, they just this doesn't really work. No, I'm busy. <laughs> Couldn't couldn't get in to, to get that, yeah, get that fixed. 
So in the end, we figured this cost the seller probably $20,000 as far as not getting into the home, not allowing showings. It was in such poor condition it was there. We couldn't do the repairs. It was just one thing after the other. Not to mention the damage deposit. Just The risk is so great that you have half a month's rent or, or whatever it is now, maybe right. a bit more because you've got a pet. Oh, the other, and, it's, excuse me, sorry. It's okay. Yeah. The other problem too is say you do go to court and you win the, the court case. But you st- still never get the money. It's yeah. everything is stacked against you. So if you are, I guess the the words of advice out there, um, yes, if you can, if your building allows it, or you're, you have a house or whatever, um, just just be careful because it can go. When it does go bad, it can go really bad. Now, now that was the worst, and most of the time, the physical damage to their property isn't necessarily there. But we've all experienced it with tenants when you're trying to sell a home and you just want to get in the door. Yeah. And it's hard on tenants, but just to, so people listening know, the actual rules are if a, if a tenant is given 24 hours notice. Um, now, I believe that has to be in writing if they want to make it uh, sticky yeah. about and it. And once you cross that line, they, it, yeah. it, it already that really sours that relationship. Oh, once yeah, the, once you get into, I'm going to put a notice on your door, yeah, and it's I'll awful. be there regardless. Yeah, and yeah. you gotta you got to remember, too, they're... They don't want to move, right? Definitely. And, no, and, we're, and, we are a massive imposition and, on and them. And it's, uh, their life's upset, and, and, and a lot of tenants don't realize that when they do move, they're going to get one month's free rent. So, you know, it's uh, – in fact, a lot of landlords don't know that. So <laughs> well, it's, and, uh, but, you know, it's, it's a tough time. It is, and I'll say that I'm upset about these particular tenants being so difficult, and I don't want to make that seem like like renters are bad. Yeah. But if you're if you're somebody who's going to sell your home and you have a renter, it's not their fault. You're right; they don't want to move. It's an imposition on them. It's their home they've been living in, and you want to keep coming in and showing it. Of course, they don't want that. I guess the advice is just just know that it is going to make selling the home complicated, and that is the tenant's right. Mm-hmm. So the the really important question I want to ask you, Matt, is: Are you aware that you are a millennial? We are not. Yeah. Well, in, in a gray area, we are, but yeah. we don't. We don't fall into this world of these. These guys kept telling us how hard their lives were. Right. And so you don't feel you fit the millennial mold. They're, they're even just, though you're right they're, on. They're the cusp. fitting the hyperbolic stereotype. Right. Yeah. Extreme entitlement. Um, yeah, and I think and we have we have a tenanted one of the properties that's tenanted right now with amazing tenants, and so we're technically not, they're also millennials, and they're perfectly. Amazing. Okay, so Very you're not a millennial racist. No, Jeff's saving my <laughs> ass here, saying that but, like it's, it's. But another thing to mention, and this is this is one for tenants out there. Um, the realtors know, and we we do try and accommodate and just try and be as easy as we can, make it as easy as we can on you. But we get asked by there are investors out there that want to purchase that purchase that property and might want you to stay. And if they see that you aren't doing any favors favors for the realtor, you're leaving everything just a pigsty to. For Our first most word. interested buyer on this property wanted to rent it out. So then they would have got to stay because they, they can't yeah. kick them out. And they no. walked yeah. in and said, these tenants are horrible. We don't want them. Oh, that's too bad. You know, they, they, oh. burn, their, they burn themselves. They don't even know it, right? Because they think of it anyway. That was, there's a lot I could say. Lots, about of, le- lots of lessons in there, but a uh, quick little story about tenants. All right. Well, why don't we, uh, we've got a question of the week for Mick. Why don't we move into that and then wrap things up? Check out the big brain on Brad. How's it working out for you? What? Being clever. Who knows where thoughts come from? They just appear. You're listening to Multiple Offers, a real estate show. All right. I have a two-part question from a Mr. Keith Setter, who is a... uh, Friend of the show. uh, Long-time listener. uh, Long-time friend of Dad's and um, uh, the manager over at... Now, I get it. 
there's Little Oak and there's Treeland. They're both in Langley. He's Treeland. Treeland. Tree yeah. Okay, so he's the manager Remax, at, at Remax Treeland. Um, one of these questions is a little bit uh, tongue in cheek, and the other one is a real one. So Keith's first question is: Have you ever fallen asleep at an open house? Yes. <laughs> it was. Uh, Come on, Keith. And, and just so I've been totally set up, it was <laughs> one of my first open houses, and it uh, it was raining so hard. My clients were in Toronto, and it was just pouring, like beyond pouring. And I guess I just kind of dozed off, and I woke up at 7 p.m. Oh. And, and oh, there's an actual. St- he he knows yeah, he would have been totally setting set you up, up for this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and uh, so here's the part of the story that I didn't tell him was the people across the street saw how late I stayed. And two weeks later, I listed their house because they thought <laughs> they thought that you were working. working really Dedication. Hard. Did, did the did the sellers wake you up? Like they got no, home? And no, s- they were in Toronto. They're in Toronto. Oh, yeah. I see. So right. no one woke me up or anything. Huh. I don't know. I'm. I, I thought this was an inside joke because Keith Setter has a collection of you falling asleep yes, in different locations. He does like He's that. got a photo collection of like dad asleep at an airport, dad asleep on different people's couches. <laughs> like, <No>. <laughs> Do we have okay. any dirt? Do we have any dirt on uh on this uh, Mr. Well, Sutter. I think we'll probably have Keith on the yeah, show at some point. Yeah, you want Keith on the show and then yeah. I'll I'll do a couple questions yeah. for return him. the favor. Yeah. yeah. The uh, um the real question is, uh, who would you say was your earliest mentor and what were some of the biggest lessons? Well, my, my earliest mentor was a, a fellow named John Erickson, who uh, was the president of, the, uh, of, of Canada Permanent. And I was uh, really thinking I was doing great. And, you know, the second, third year, I was top in my office and, you know, and I was pretty proud of myself and I was working really hard, I thought. He called me in my office one day and he said, uh, he said, how's it going? And I said, oh, it's going great. And he said, well, you're, you're not doing nearly what you should be doing. Hmm. He said, with your ability, you should be there. And he challenged me and, and, uh, and you know, and that was a, a really good thing. There are some similar themes with this answer to your talk with your dad. I'm not quite following you there. Oh, my dad, yeah. When when you were at the keg and you thought you had a real job. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying, yeah. No, but... uh, Not to say that the keg wasn't a real job, but just both of those seem to be uh, people telling you that you're not working to your full potential. Yeah, I guess the the big thing was I... Back then, everybody just said the only way you could be successful in real estate was by getting listings. And and I had a client walk in in the door, and I was a real new realtor with the permanent. And they said, oh, we want to buy a house. And I went out for the next two or three days with them, found them a place, and they bought it. And I went, gee, this was fun. This mm. was good. And I took on a total different way of selling real estate than everybody was preaching back then. And that was to work with buyers. And then lo and behold, five years later, I was a top lister because people move again and I had done a good job for people. And, and so, um, you know, I, I worked with so many really good realtors and I found in the industry that people share and, and, um, 
you know, one of the uh, realtors that I really have a ton of respect for is Sheila Francis out mm-hmm. of Coquitlam. And she, we used to meet once a week and just discuss what we were doing, what was working, what we could do better to become better realtors. And then I've been in mentor groups uh, with top producers from each area in the city, and, th- and that's been really good too. And uh, so, um, but but John Erickson was the guy who um, really kind of said, "Hey, you know, don't read your own press clippings, kid." <laughs> <laughs> so. Awesome. Well, uh, Dad, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks for coming on the show. If you guys have any follow-up questions for Mick or uh, any questions for any of us, you can reach us at M.O. Real Estate. No, feedback at morealestateshow.com. Matt's giving me the look like Really disappointed in you. We're 29 episodes in. And you're still getting this wrong. Uh, feedback at morealestateshow.com. If you want to reach Dad or I, you can find us at realestatenewwest.com. Matt and Jeremy are at thenewwestguys.com. And if you liked this show, please think about leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. It helps us get out to more people. Thank you guys very much. Thank you. Welcome to uh, Mixed Gardening Tips here. Uh, <laughs> we've got a, a guest on the show, uh, one of New Westminster's uh, most celebrated gardeners. Is this, um, is this your NPR <laughs> <laughs> voice? No, that's this voice if we we're going to do that one. So, <laughs> Mick, why don't you tell us, um, what, are you, what are you growing right now? Well, right now, I've, uh, of course, it's November, so... I've I've been become a YouTube junkie, and as you found out on the show, I'm not that techie, so I only discovered YouTube about uh, eight months ago. It's amazing, and, and uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah. I can change wipers in my car now, and he's seen and all the do, cute cats. Uh, <laughs> I do all that so stuff. Cats. <laughs> but now I'm into total uh, composting and developing the soil, and I've got all these winter vegetables growing and. I, I haven't bought any produce since about May. Wow. And it's been really cool. And I'll tell you, anybody who hasn't had a garden and grown some vegetables, the taste is unbelievable. For sure. It, it, and it's, I, I really like it. So I've built little um, uh, kind of tunnel. Uh, hoop tunnels. Hoop, hoop tunnels. Yeah, I've heard, of, I've heard of these uh, and, hoop tunnels. Uh, so I've got all my... Uh, Kale and lettuce and uh, spinach and, and are you just taking a piece of plastic? And yeah, over over the into two PVC, holes, PVC. Yeah, and keep the frost off. Keeps, keeps the frost. Yeah, I I have an, a question though. For you haven't bought since May. Are you like things like root ve- veg, onions? Have you got all those? Are you cellaring? Are they like cellaring them? Where what are you doing with them? I I, I love giving. Uh, well, ask my son. Um, oh yeah, I'll just open the door and there'll just be a bag of vegetables. Like nobody even knocked or or there. Was, I, I just like I, uh, yeah. And we go in through the garage, so we could miss those for for a while. I, I do call your lovely wife and tell her they're there. But, hey, I left uh, some raccoon bait on the front porch. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it, it's really uh, neat. And then my my lovely wife. Uh, I started by uh, 
getting into vermiculture, which is you have uh, worms, red red wigglers, and uh, these special worms different than the ones in the soil that very, we have here. Very different. So okay. they're composting worms, and then you take their uh, their uh, stuff and put it in your garden, and it's better than any fertilizer you can ever buy. Did, did you have to import these special worms? Uh, you can if you go on the uh, YouTube the city website. <laughs> no, they there's Guys who sell them in Vancouver. Are you breeding them? Out of a van. Yeah. Well, they just breed themselves. They, uh, okay. You just so, feed them all your, your leftover vegetables, and, and it's great for reducing the composting well, and putting stuff can into you, If you had, um, could you put these worms, you just put them in your compost bin? or? Well, you, I'm doing that too now. Uh, so I've got, um, once it gets past the stage where it's real hot, like um, when you put fresh grass cuttings and all that, the compost mm-hmm. gets very warm. Right. And then it, for finishing it, I put a big whack of those worms in there and just let them go to go to town. And my wife thinks I've just lost it. The other thing she's that I, not a fan of the worms. No, she hates. No. Them. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I got to get some of these worms. Okay. Um, does and, Does it take a lot of space up to grow the worms? No, not at no. all. And uh, the other thing I did was I didn't buy one plant this year. I I uh, I grew everything from seed, so which Mon- is Monsanto if they're listening right now. So that's kind of that's kind of fun, and and so it looks a little like a grow up in my basement. But how many uh, lights you got right now for the tomatoes? I've I've got uh, four grow lights. Yeah, Hi- hydroponic setups. No, no, I haven't we, done we that. We talked about yeah. that on the show no. before, yeah. didn't we? Have yeah, you we have you no, seen that was in the the grow up episode? Have you seen? I, I don't want to know what they're called, but there's these full cycle gardens where you have an aquarium with carp um, or some sort of fish yeah. and the plants and they're fer- the fish are fertilizing. Yeah, I've seen that. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Self fully self-contained little yeah. Sorry, that's prepper stuff, Jer. That's he's not is quite there. He you know, I, he said he's seen it. He's I, I've seen there. it on YouTube, but I haven't done it. Is that a goal? No. No. Okay. Um, how far away are you from having chickens uh, at the I, house on It's Queen? actually for people in New Westminster, they don't realize but the bylaws allow you to have five chickens. And I uh when I, I had a hobby farm in Langley in the, in the late 70s, and I, I had about 50 chickens then. And uh, so like I really work. liked it when I had chickens. I, I mentioned it briefly to my lovely wife that I wanted to get chickens. Just in passing. Well, I can having... use the fertilizer, fresh <laughs> eggs. It's so be great. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and she said she'd leave me. <laughs> <laughs> That's too bad. Yeah. And the other thing that was really cool, like the grandpa moment I had this year, was I took uh, my little grandson, Asher, and we, we planted uh, cucumbers, and I built a trellis and did all this, and I got him to plant the plants that I'd grown from seed, and then we went in the backyard, and he played for about five minutes, and he looked at me and said, okay, grandpa, let's go get the cucumbers. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, but it was really neat, and then... Then he, uh, as they got big, he's been out there picking them and, and. Oh yeah. He loves cucumbers. He loves cucumbers. (laughs) So it was was pretty neat. Well, that's too bad about the chickens. Yeah. I, we could put some here. Um, but he's, yeah, strata though. Oh yeah. Okay. Maybe we we don't have a chicken bylaw. 